Well, good morning to you. As Kath mentioned, we're continuing our series in the book of Philippians, uh, so do keep your Bibles open. I want to begin this morning by showing you four pictures, four photographs of four people. The first is Jimmy Schwaggart. In the, in the 80s, there were over 3,000 stations across America, cable systems, who received his televangelist program. Height of his popularity, nobody could imagine a, a more wonderful Christian evangelist. But then we learned of several affairs, several um, interactions, as they say, with prostitutes. Uh, let me show you a picture of Elliot Ness. Elliot Ness is the guy who famously captured Al Capone in the uh, Prohibition Area Police of Chicago. He was the great hero, but he was also a drunkard. Uh, he was famously arrested for drink driving before they even had drink driving laws in Chicago. Drunk at the wheel. Let me show you Shane Warne, cricket legend and drug cheat. And I think there's been some other indiscretions as well. Let me show you Donald Trump. Now, it could be argued that each of these people are great people. They've achieved much and they've actually done much good. But each of them could be said to have a character flaw. Perhaps we could admire their deeds and we could admire their skill and their accomplishments, but perhaps we may not like them so much as people. Why? Why is that? Well, it's because of their character. Character matters. As Paul continues his letter to the Philippians, this question of personal character, of virtue, is put before us. It actually prompts us to consider, okay, well, what sort of person am I? What kind of person is God making me into? So as we look at the, uh, the text of this letter to the Philippians, we see that, first of all, we, we actually get the backstory now to this letter. Uh, we remember Paul is writing, to, uh, he's writing from Rome. He's in jail in Rome. And uh, here's how it all came about. For the past 12 years or so, the Christians at Philippi have been supporting Paul in his ministry. They, they're actually partners together. And the Philippian Christians have been sending money, sending gifts, enabling Paul to carry on his work of bringing the gospel to, to the entire uh, Roman world. We learn also that uh, Epaphroditus was sent by the Philippian church to Rome with, with a gift of Paul. And if you think back to the Greco-Roman world, social services were not a big thing. And you can imagine that life inside a Roman jail was very harsh. And so when this gift arrived from Philippi, I, I think there would have been great rejoicing for Paul. Uh, I'm sure that his standard of food um, you know, increased as Epaphroditus arrived. We also learn that Epaphroditus became very sick. We don't know if that was on the way to Rome or actually when he got to Rome, but he was so sick he nearly died. Eventually he's recovered and now Paul is sending him back to the Philippians. He's actually carrying the very letter that we're reading now. So what we have today is what Epaphroditus took back to Philippi. 
There's the backstory. What else do we know from this backstory? Well, we know that the name Epaphroditus actually comes from the Greek goddess of love, Epaphrodite. So, okay, looks like Epaphroditus is, is, is not a Jew, probably from a Gentile family, with roots in the Roman military. Because, you see, Philippi was conquered by the Romans or reconquered by the Romans, 42 BC. And if you were part of that army, Emperor Octavian gave you free land to resettle this area. And so the Roman military had a very high profile, lots of retired soldiers and so forth. Military families lived in Philippi. That's pretty much all we know. Of Epaphroditus. There's, there's no other mention of him in the Bible. In the book of the Colossians, we learn about another guy called Epaphras, not the same guy. Here's all that we know about this man, Epaphroditus. The other part of the backstory, of course, is Timothy. And uh, you see in chapter 2, verse 19, in the Bibles in front of you, Paul says, um, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. Now, we know a lot about Timothy from the rest of the New Testament, particularly Paul uh, wrote two letters to him, one and two Timothy. You can read them um, later on, I guess. But Paul first met Timothy on his second missionary journey in the town of Lystra. He was the son of a Greek father and a Jewish mother. Uh, her name was Eunice. Uh, we know that as well. You know, her grandmother was, was Lois, right? So we know a lot about Timothy. Paul invited the young Timothy, come and join me. Join my ministry team as I travel around and spread this news of Jesus Christ in his death and resurrection. And over the time that they worked together, they became very close, like a father and a son together. So it's this Timothy that we know so much about that Paul says, I'm planning to send him to Philippi. Not quite yet, not with Epaphroditus in the letter, but later. You see, Paul is waiting to find out the results of his trial in Rome. As soon as he knows what's going to happen with himself, then he'll send Timothy off to Philippi, see how things are going there, bring back news to Paul, wherever he may be. Now, the interesting thing is if Paul was only interested in this sort of communication, you know, sending Timothy here and then bringing him back and so forth, making travel arrangements, if that was all he was interested in, he probably would have stopped there, nothing more to say about Timothy. But Paul actually has some very important things to say about Timothy, and so he continues verses, 22, uh, verses 20 to 22. He's got, he wants to, to highlight who Timothy is. So have a look with me at verse 20. Of Timothy, Paul says, I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy's proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope therefore to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. Paul wants the Philippians to know that Timothy has this amazing special relationship with him, but he wants them to know Timothy is a man of character. Why send Timothy? Because Timothy, he's the best, the best I've got. He actually cares about you. That's what makes him so good. Verse 21, do you see there's a contrast drawn with, against all of the others? Timothy's different. He, he, unlike so many who just really look to their own interests, Timothy cares about the interests of Jesus Christ first. 
Timothy is concerned, first of all, for the kingdom of God, for his people, for his ways, for this message of salvation that he has. Now, Timothy and the Philippians already know each other from Paul's earlier visits there. They weren't strangers. And and that's why at the beginning of verse 22, Paul says, you know this about Timothy. And the NIV renders this, you know, Timothy has proven himself. It's not entirely what the text means. What Paul is saying there is through all of the trials and the challenges and the hardships that I have been through as I've travelled throughout Asia spreading the news of Christ, all of those hard things have refined and shown just what kind of man Timothy really is. He's a man of proven character. That's what Timothy is like. And so in verse 23, it is this guy, a man of such standing, I'm sending to you, to the Philippians. But more immediately, first up, I'm going to send you Epaphroditus. Have a look at verses 25 to 28 with me. Let's see. Okay, well, we know what sort of man Timothy is now. What sort of guy is Epaphroditus? Verse 25, I think it necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker and fellow soldier who is also your messenger whom you sent to take care of my needs for he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill indeed he was ill and almost died but God had mercy on him not only on him but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow therefore I'm all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again you may be glad and I may have less anxiety So just as Timothy, the best guy Paul's got, let's send him. Epaphroditus is also a man of great virtue. You see in verse 25 that Paul kind of piles up this this description. Paul says, first of all, that he's my brother. My brother in Christ, yes. But I think perhaps a brother through shared trials, through shared hardship, through the crisis of his illness. They feel like brothers. He's also a co-worker. With Paul, it's not kind of one of that. Not a passenger in the Christian faith. He's one of those guys that just hangs around. No, he's a, he's a sleeves rolled up man. He's working alongside Paul. He's the kind of person that you want on your team. He's a co-worker. The third term that Paul gives to Epaphroditus is this term, fellow soldier. Throughout the entire New Testament, through all of Paul's letters and writings, is the only time he uses this word. This metaphor is only used once. And I think he uses it because it has particular traction in Philippi. Okay, remember, Philippi is the military colony. It's populated by distinguished soldiers now and their families. Who knows whether Epaphroditus was part of the Roman military or you know, perhaps he's a retired centurion. Who knows what he might be? Probably he's got... Um, uh, predecessors who were and so when Epaphroditus is called my fellow soldier the picture is here is is an honoured comrade in arms Uh, he's being sent home but he's one of us Uh, he's part of the regiment he's returning with valour from the front lines for Raranar high praise for Epaphroditus And finally, in verse 25, Epaphroditus is actually their apostle. I know it says sent 
one or messenger, but really the word is used is he's our he's your apostle. That is, he's an authorized representative sent for a particular purpose, which is to care for Paul. So, you know, Jesus had 12 apostles. He sent them out as his authorized representatives, and their job was to testify to Jesus. That's what the word apostle means, right? So in the same way, the Philippians send out Epaphroditus. He's their apostle. He speaks or he acts on their behalf to minister to Paul's needs. So it's a very trusted position to be an apostle, a sent one. One more aspect, though, of Epaphroditus's character that we see here, verse 26, 27, he actually cares also about the Philippians. He wanted to get home for the sake of his own people, who were probably greatly distressed that they heard he was ill because they, thought, they would have thought he, he's, he's dead. You know, today when we hear someone's got a bad sickness... They're seriously ill. We think, oh, well, they'll go to hospital and the doctors there will fix them. You know, we have this incredible medical science and we have all of these facilities and we expect people to get better. Back in the first century, someone gets sick, well, you expect that they're going to die. That's what usually happens in this scenario. So the Philippians have heard Epaphroditus is very sick. I imagine back in Philippi, there's friends, there's family who think, well, more than likely we won't see him again. Epaphroditus, for their sake, to relieve their distress, wants to get back and show them that God has had mercy on him. He cares. He's thinking about the people at home. That's the kind of guy Epaphroditus is. So Timothy and Epaphroditus are commended very generously by Paul to the Philippians. But here's my question. Why? Why such a kind of an extended introduction? I mean, Epaphroditus is a local, right? They already know him. They already think he's great. They trusted him so much they made him their apostle. They sent him to Paul. And they already know Timothy. They know that Timothy is like the number one guy who travels with Paul. They've met him several times. So why these introductions? Why... Interrupt the flow of Paul's beautifully theologically rich letter to the Philippians. Why do this? Because Timothy and Epaphroditus are real life illustrations of what all of this fancy theology is supposed to look like. Their way of living is worth following, their character matters. Paul's been calling the Philippians to live in a certain way all the way throughout the letter. Remember that sort of headline statement in 127. Paul says to the Philippians, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Later on at the beginning of chapter 2, he says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. You know, the one who emptied himself of his heavenly glory in order to become human, in order to take the form of a servant who humbled himself to death on a cross. Paul has begun to explain then in chapter 2 what this kind of life of following God looks like. It's about humility. No grumbling, as we saw last week. No complaining. Not selfish. 
You see, Paul only seems to have interrupted his flow of thought to introduce Paul and Epaph- uh, Timothy and Epaphroditus. But they're not a sidetrack. They're not a tangent in this letter. They are examples to follow. They're models. They're, they're great models because they're kind of ordinary, everyday people. It's not like, you know, be like Jesus. Everyone goes, well, he's God. It's a bit hard to follow, you know. Or, or be like Paul, the great apostle. Tough gig. He's Epaphroditus. He's totally ordinary. And, you know, Timothy. We look at these two people and say, they are examples of the kind of life that Paul is calling us to. This is genuine Christian character. You notice when Paul talks about other Christians, above all of their other attributes that other Christians might have, you know, their, their, their personality or their technical skill or their abilities, whatever it is, Paul is interested in their character. Character is king. These two men, Timothy and Epaphroditus, they are quality. They are people of virtue and integrity. Despite their ordinariness, their their humanity, they show the kind of life to which Paul is calling the Philippians throughout this letter. I suppose all of this talk about character can seem kind of foreign to us, unusual. We don't think much about character because in our culture, in our place, in our time, we care more about celebrity than virtue. Think about the world of politics in Australia and overseas. We're the same. The world of politics does not turn on integrity or righteousness. It's about, well, popularity. It's about personality. Our media reports to us what we will pay to listen to. And we're so excited about the last Twitter Twitter feed, Twitter thing. <laughs> we're so concerned about what she wore or didn't wear. Or what's trending, what's popular. But the quality of a person's character, their readiness to stand for what is right, no matter how popular, no matter how difficult, doesn't seem to matter to us too much. Here's the point that I think we should be dwelling on today from this part of the Bible. God cares very much about the kind of people that we are. Timothy and Epaphroditus, they are examples. Paul has told us of their character because God is vitally interested in the kind of people that we really are, the kind of people that we are becoming. This is actually central to God's plan. This is the work of God. You see, Christians don't you know, get saved and, you know, okay, box ticked. If you just turn up to church, everything will be sweet. God's plan is to grow us as people for his own glory. It's not kind of a self-improvement program because you know, we, we, we need work. God's people are God's reputation on earth. The, the way that we live... The kind of people that we are matters to God because it brings him glory and it brings him honour. That's why his Holy Spirit is at work in each Christian person. He wants to grow our character. You know, the product of the Spirit's work in the life of a Christian is virtue. Okay, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. And patience and kindness and goodness 
and faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Growth in character is the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the Christian. I want to be really clear about this. We begin living our life in God entirely by grace. It is his kindness towards us that brings us to new birth in Christ. We begin entirely by grace and we go on entirely by grace. Growing in godly character is not some kind of self-improvement program so we could, you know, pay God back. Thanks very much for saving me. I'll prove that I was worth it by being such a really nice guy. Instead, the Spirit's work of growing our character is the product of grace. The more we dwell on the kindness and grace of God, the more we'll be changed and transformed to become like the Lord Jesus. And the result of all of this is that God is glorified. God is honoured. God was honoured in the lives of Timothy and Epaphroditus. And he wants to be honoured in our lives too. When you leave church today, you're going to go home to your families, and go home to your friends, you're going to perhaps turn up to work on Monday, you're going to go to your social circle of friends or go to the club, whatever it might be. And the most noticeable thing that you take with you is your character. It's why your friends like you. And it's why some other people don't. The kind of people that we are matters to God. And it matters to those who are close to us as well. So I want to just think about this for a little bit longer. Are you happy with the kind of person that you are? Is your character kind of just what it is? You know, I, I don't think about it too much. It's, it's untested, unexamined. Or is your character carefully considered such that you have thought about this and you actually yearn to see growth in yourself? You long to see the Spirit's work of change and transformation in your life. Uh, I have a friend named Jared. Uh, Jared's a mechanic and uh, last Tuesday I went over to his place. It was five o'clock or so, work was over for the day. And uh, as I arrived at Jared's driveway, there he is. He's lying on the ground in the driveway underneath a friend's car. And he's fixing something. Um, you know, there's tools and there's spare parts and then there's the other sort of project cars that are tucked around the side of the house. They're all there. Jared loves cars and mechanic-y stuff, right? Um, even when he's not at work, there he is under a friend's car. He's all the time looking under the bonnet of somebody's car. Now, unlike Jared, on the very rare occasion that I undo the bonnet of my car and have a little look under there, I see a bundle of pipes and tubes and thingies, and I've got no idea. I've never invested the time to really understand what's going on there. I'm pretty good. You know there's that thing where you fill up the water for the windscreen wipers? I can do that. And I close the bonnet, and I hope that we'll be right on our long trip. Not Jared. Jared is under the bonnet all the time. He knows what he's looking at and he is always tweaking something and fixing something. He's improving things. He's making sure everything is running as it should. Paying attention to our character is like looking under the bonnet of the car. 
What's happening under there is what's driving our life. And it's why we're the kind of people that we are. If we don't pay attention to our character, sooner or later we're going to get a nasty surprise. Worse than that, God will not be honoured. We will not display to the world what God is really like. We'll be misrepresenting him. Our lives of love and joy, peace, of patience and kindness and goodness, gentleness, faithfulness and self-control, they matter. They matter to God because those virtues reveal God to the world. They actually win a hearing for the gospel and they demonstrate that God is not the God that the newspapers are talking about. They actually show us what life in the kingdom is life. The kingdom of God is the place where lives are changed, where we are transformed and put back together, as it were. Not so that we're you know, like a better version of ourselves. No, so that we are remade in the image of Christ. We become the people that God intended us to be when he saved us. So I thought we could wisely invest just a couple more moments to have a peek under the bonnet. If you open the bonnet of your life... What are you looking for? What are you going to do as you tinker around in there? Notice we've said already this is the work of the Holy Spirit. He's supremely active in the process, but we are essential to this progress as well. We're involved. God will do nothing against our will in this matter. So let's kind of get practical, open up the bonnet. I've got six suggestions, things that you could do that will grow your character. Let's have a look at some of them. First one is to actually reflect on your life. At the end of the day, pray reflecting back over the things that have happened. Um, you, you know, what was God up to through this day that I've just whizzed through? What about my interaction with that person? How did I treat them? How did they treat me? Why did that happen? In other Christian traditions, this sort of daily prayer at the end of the day is called the examen. sounds like examination. That's the same root, okay? It can be very disciplined and very structured, but not necessarily. Okay, for me, this is my last prayer at night, okay? My head is you know, in the process of hitting the pillow, and uh, this is what I pray. Lord, what were you doing today? Where did I see you at work? How did I go? Is there something I need to confess? Lord, were, were, I, were I in tune? Were, were we good? It, it's, a, it's, a, it's a strange conversation, right? But it's a re prayerful reflection on the day that has been. Call the X-Men. It's a great prayer to pray. Last one for the day. Here's another suggestion. Do you pray for the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life? Do you actually ask God to grow you by the work of his spirit? Have you ever tried to memorize those nine aspects of the, of the Holy Spirit's work in your life? Okay, Here's a tip. If you memorize them, you can pray them all through the day. First three all have one syllable. Love, joy, peace. 
Second three all have two syllables. Okay, it's pretty easy. Okay, patience, kindness, goodness. Goodness is your ability to reflect the character of God. Okay, so goodness. Third three, guess what? They've got three syllables each. Okay, faithfulness, gentleness, self control. Okay, so now you know how to memorize that fruit of the Spirit. Now pray it. Pray, Lord, will you please grow me in this way by your Spirit's work? So pray them into your life. Um, here's a third idea ask yourself, who are you trying to please? What is your motivation in relationships? Timothy was such a great guy, 221, because he was trying to please God. Things sort of seem to go awry when you're trying to impress you know, your peers. And things go even worse when you're trying to impress those people who are just one step higher on the ladder than you are. Okay? Who are you trying to please? Here's another suggestion. Get honest with someone that you trust. If you have someone in your life and you have submitted yourself to them, to their examination, they have permission to ask you the tough questions. Stuart, why did you act in that way at that time? Stuart, what really is motivating you in this situation? Make yourself accountable to someone that you trust. Christian friend, maybe you have a prayer partner. Who knows whom that may be? Think wisely about a trusted Christian friend and be accountable. Let them ask you the tough questions. Fifth suggestion to grow in character. Practice doing the right thing. Um, all the researchers tell us that virtue is actually something that you can learn. You can practice. I think it's tougher than golf to learn, but you can do it. Okay? You keep doing the right thing. It's not just morality here we're talking about. It's acting in the way that Jesus would. Okay. Last suggestion. Do you notice the good example of the other people around you in your life? Who is Timothy? Or a, who, you know, who's the Paphroditus that you know? Someone who shows you good character. Do you ponder the lives of the people that you love? What is admirable about them? What is noble about them? What is valued? When we get to the back end of the book of Philippians, Paul's going to say, hey, whatever is noble, true, good, praiseworthy, think on these things. Okay? Think about the character of the people that you rub shoulders with. Look beyond their appearance. Look beyond their charm and their skill and their wits and their fun and ask, what is their character? And what can I learn from that? There is nothing particularly original <clears throat> or, you know, brand new about these six steps except that if you give yourself to them you will grow god by his grace will change your character <coughs> so that we can think on them i'm going to write them up i'm going to stick them on the back of the question sheet for the week and you'll be able to download them from the internet so you know if you haven't noted them down that's okay little by little by the grace of god we will be transformed in character to become like the Lord Jesus Christ. The people of God's kingdom exist to reflect his glory and it is our character through which God works. The great thing about Timothy was that he wasn't concerned about himself. He was genuinely concerned for the welfare of the Philippians. He was genuinely concerned for the things of Jesus. Epaphroditus 
completely given over to the service of the gospel, even if it meant that he lost his life. When Paul said, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, he gave us some examples. Even ordinary people like Timothy and Epaphroditus, two good men, show us that our character matters. So I want to encourage you this week to pop up the bonnet of yourself and get to work. I'm going to pray for us and then we've got time for some questions. Our God and Father, we do ask that your Holy Spirit would continue his work in our lives. Thank you for faith to believe the gospel and to be so changed that we have new life. Will you please continue your work of transformation in us to your glory. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.